Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Sefer Zmanim. Today we begin the new, the third book of the Rambam, the book that describes the mitzvahs that have an affixed time. And as the Rambam does, he begins every one of his books with a sentence from the writings. This is a sentence from Tehillim. He says, I have accepted your laws, your testimony laws. And I accepted them as an eternal heritage, even though this is a book that has the mitzvahs of an affixed time. But these mitzvahs at an affixed time have an influence and an impact on our entire life eternally. For they make my heart rejoice. And in this book we're going to cover ten sets of laws. The law of the Hilch Lalachas of Shabbos, of making an Eruv, of resting on Yom Kippur, of resting on the holidays, of chametz and Matzah, of Shofar Lulav and Sukkah, of the shekels, the coins, of, of sanctifying the new month, of fast days, and of Megillah and Hanukkah. We're going to today begin with the laws of Shabbos. And on these laws, we will cover five mitzvahs. Two positive, three negative. And they are to rest on the day of Shabbos, not to do work on Shabbos, not to punish someone in court on Shabbos, not to walk outside the boundary on Shabbos, and to sanctify the Shabbos to mention the sanctity of Shabbos. We'll go through these laws, God willing, in the right time. And today, now we're going to begin Halacha Perak Aleph, Halacha Aleph, Chapter 1. Here we go. Shvisa Bashvi Malacha says the Rambam, resting on Shabbos is a positive mitzvah. It says, On the seventh day, rest. If one did work on Shabbos, so they neglected to fulfill this positive mitzvah, and they also violated a negative mitzvah, the sentence says, Do not perform any malacha, any work. What are they liable for? So, one of three things. If they did it willingly and intentionally, then they are liable for kares, which as we've described is a spiritual punishment for our souls, which is exacted by God. If we did it willingly and intentionally and there were witnesses who warned us beforehand, now the best in the court um, exacts the punishment of skila, of stoning. If it was accidental, we'll describe what that means, then we have to go to the temple and bring an offering, a chatas, a set chatas offering, its value is set, and those are the three punishments. Says the Rambam, terminologies, we're now going to describe and, de- and define these terminologies that we need to know for all the laws of Shabbos, halacha beis. Whenever we say the word chayev, you're liable, we mean you're liable for one of these three, either a punishment by God, by the Bezdin, or you have to bring an offering. That's what we mean when we say in the laws of Shabbos, liable chayev. Halacha gimel, if we say the word pater, which means you're exempt, you will not receive any of these three punishments, but... It's still rabbinically prohibited as a preventative measure. If you violated it intentionally and willingly, you won't get any of those three uh, punishments. But there's something called makas mardus. We've covered this before. And this is a punishment exacted by the court. It's lashes, not the Torah type of lashes. It's a specific rabbinic punishment given for someone who um, violates a rabbinic prohibition. Similarly, says the Rambam, any time in these laws, when we're going to say the words, we don't do, dot, 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 or you're forbidden to do, dot, 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 it expresses the very same sentiment. Halacha Dalit, when we say the word mutar, it is, it can be done, it's permissible, that means you can do it. Similarly, if we use the words, there is no liability at all. Or if we say you're completely exempt, those also mean that you are allowed to fully do it. So those are the definitions. Now, by Torah law, one is only liable for violating Shabbos if the action he performed was purposeful, deliberate, premeditated, and a creative activity. We're going to define these. For the remainder of the chapter, the Ramam is going to discuss the degrees of intent necessary to fulfill these criterias. 
And now we're going to begin in Halacha Hey with a Dover She'enoi Meskaven, which means as follows. Let us say that someone is engaged in a perfectly permissible activity on Shabbos, but as a result of this action, it's possible that a forbidden act will take place. Now, he has no interest in that forbidden byproduct to taking place, but it might, says the Rambam. He can go ahead. He can engage in the permissible activity, even though there's a possibility that a prohibited act may take place as well. And here are some of the examples that the Rambam gives us. Number one, you're dragging, you can drag a chair, a couch, or a bed through the ground, the backyard. Now, even though there's a possibility that you may create a furrow in the ground, and creating a furrow is the prohibited act on Shabbos of plowing, we'll learn that. That's not your intent. You don't mean to do that. Might happen, might not. You can walk on grass on Shabbos. Ah, there's a possibility you may pull out some of the grass and you're violating the prohibition of cutting wild living plants from the ground. That might happen, but that's not your intent. You can rub your hands with certain herbs on your hands. It might cause the hairs to fall off your hand and that'll violate the prohibition of shearing hair on Shabbos. If that happens, that's not your intent. The last example the Ramam says is you can walk through a small entranceway on Shabbos. Even though it's possible that you may knock some of the wall and cause it to fall down, the prohibition demolishing things on Shabbos, that's not your intent. But if the byproduct was certain to happen, even though you did not intend, you didn't want it to happen, you are liable. Remember, liable is from the Torah. Remember those definitions. So the example the Ramam gives is you want to give your child a toy. So you give them the head of a chicken. The problem is that the head of the chicken is connected to the chicken. So you take off the head. Now, you didn't want to kill the chicken. You just want to create a toy. But it's impossible for the chicken to remain alive without a head. And therefore, that would be prohibited. You're liable for that. Now, until now, we're talking about a byproduct of a permitted action. Now we're going to talk about a malacha she'in sricha lagufe, which means the act itself was prohibited, but you didn't actually want the essence of the action. So for example, let's say you extinguish a flame, which you're not allowed to do on Shabbos. But you only extinguish the flame in order to preserve the oil. You didn't want to lose the oil or to preserve the flame that, the, that, that, that it was in. Or he moved some thorns or coals uh, out of the public thoroughfare, which is a prohibited act of carrying on Shabbos. And you did so not because you want to move it, you just don't want people to hurt themselves and they pass by. The fact is, he wanted to extinguish the flame. He wanted to move the coals and thorns. He may have had ulterior motives, but he wanted to do it, and therefore he is liable. Now remember, you're only liable halacha 8 on Shabbos if the action performed was purposeful, deliberate, premeditated, and creative. Therefore, so let's say he wanted to violate Shabbos by doing X, but he wound up, vi- wound up violating Shabbos by doing Y. Exempt. Remember, not permitted, exempt. Remember those definitions. So the example the Ramam gives is, you threw a rock or an arrow and you wanted to kill an animal, you wanted to kill a human being. That's prohibited on Shabbos. It's a good idea in general not to kill human beings. Uh, and he missed. The rock wound up tearing off a plant from the ground. And it tore off a plant from the ground. He's exempt. Because he wanted to do one prohibited act and another prohibited act took place. In fact, even if he intended only to violate a rabbinic action on Shabbos, to throw the stone through a Carmelist, which is a quasi-public thoroughfare, it's only rabbinically prohibited, and the stone actually flew into a real public space, which is Torahically prohibited, prohibited from the Torah, you're exempt. But if he wanted to engage in a permissible activity, He wanted to pick a fruit off the ground and accidentally he picked a fruit that was attached from the ground. Then he's completely exempt. He wanted to do something permissible. Similarly, if he intended to harvest a black fig and he accidentally harvested a white fig. Now harvesting is prohibited. 
He wanted to harvest a fig and then a grape, and he accidentally harvested the grape and then the fig. Even though he wanted to perform a prohibited act on Shabbos. And he did perform a prohibited act on Shabbos. He's exempt. Why? Remember, it has to be purposeful, deliberate, and premeditated. His act was neither of those. But, halacha yud. If he extinguished candle A, but he meant to extinguish candle B, or he lit candle A and he met, meant to light candle B, both lighting and extinguishing a flame are prohibited on Shabbos. He's liable. Why? Because he did purposefully and deliberately perform the act that he set out to do. It would be, says the Ramam, like someone who wanted to pick fig A and he picked fig B. Or meaning to kill person A and he killed person B. He wanted to do it, he did it. It was purposeful, it was deliberate, it was premeditated. But, for example, in Halacha Yiralev, let's say he meant to first light candle A and only then extinguish candle B. And he did it the other way around. Then he's exempt, because here he did not purposefully and deliberately perform the action he set out to do. However, if he did both acts simultaneously, he is, he is liable. Because you're right, candle A didn't get lit first. That's true, but it also didn't get lit after. So you fulfilled what you wanted to do. So to a certain degree, you did fulfill the intent of the action you set out to do. And because you need such a degree of intent to be liable for your actions on Shabbos. If someone didn't realize what he was doing and he just happened to do it, he obviously is not going to be liable. Halacha Yubez. Now, if he set out to perform a specific prohibited action on Shabbos and he wound up doing more than he intended to do, he's liable. If he wound up doing less than he intended to do, he's exempt. For example, he wanted to carry a load out on Shabbos, which is prohibited. You can't carry through a, lo- a thoroughfare or in or out of your house. He intended for the load to be behind him, which isn't a very safe way to carry things. People can grab it without him seeing it. He wound up carrying it in front of him. He's liable. The other way around, you're exempt. Because if you do more than you wanted to, you're liable less, you are ex- exempt. Because <clears throat> when, you, when it wound up falling behind you, he intended to carry it out in a very careful manner, and that intent was not materialized. But, halacha yud gimel, if he wanted to carry it and place it underneath his clothing, so it's between his skin and his clothing. Here, even though he intended to carry it out in front of him, and it wound up falling behind him, it's natural, says the Rambam, the things slip. And therefore, even when he wanted to carry it out in front of him, he originally planned on carrying it out, he knew it might slip. So when it does slip behind him, that was really originally part of his initial intent all along, and therefore he is still liable. Halacha yud there are certain minimums that we will learn that need to be met in order for an act to be considered prohibited on Shabbos. Once that minimum is met, even though we intended to do a lot more, so we said if you intend to, if you do less than you intend to do, you, you're not liable. No. Once you hit the threshold, the minimum of what you wanted to do, you're still liable. Even though he intended to write an entire letter, letter on Shabbos, he only, or he wanted to weave an entire garment on Shabbos, he becomes liable for transgressing Shabbos Violating the Shabbos as soon as he writes the first two letters, as soon as he weaves the first two strands. Ah, you're going to tell me it wasn't his intent. He wanted to write an entire letter. He wanted to write an, weave an entire garment. True. But he wanted to write and weave on Shabbos. He, he did write and weave on Shabbos. He is liable. So this covers the intent of an individual. Halacha tesvav. If two people perform a prohibited act on Shabbos together, and either one could have done it on their own. Whether person A could have performed one part and then person B could have performed the other part. Or they could have both done it together. 
They're both exempt. The example the Ramam gives is carrying. Remember we said you're not allowed to carry and move things out in and out of your house. Person A lifted up the item out of the house. Person B placed it down in the public thoroughfare. Or they both lifted it up out of the house and they both placed it down. They're both exempt because they individually could have done it on their own. When they do it together, they're not liable. But, halacha tezayin, if neither of them had the strength to carry it on their own, let us say, for example, it was a heavy beam, and the prohibited act was performed by the combined strength, then they're equally liable. They're each liable. They are now viewed as one single entity who performed a single prohibited activity. Now, if only person A was able to perform it, and the prohibited act was able to perform it, he was strong enough, and and person B uh, was just helping along, so then person B is just an assistant to person A, and he's not liable at all. Person A is going to be entirely liable when it comes to a messiah, someone who is, who is assisting, aimed by mamish, that does not generate a liability. Halacha yud zayin. As we said, remember, to be prohibited on Shabbos, it needs to be purposeful, deliberate, and premeditated, but it also needs to be creative. So if one is exempt, if one performs an act of destruction, destructively harming an animal, destructively ripping or burning clothing, breaking furniture, vessels, digging holes when you don't need the dirt, that's exempt. Yes, he performed a prohibited act, but it was meant to be destructive and not as a creative act. That's the truth. But if the destructive act was intended to create something, then that destruction is part of the creative process and it therefore generates a liability on Shabbos. So for example, he demolished a building in order to rebuild it or he erased letters with the intent of rewriting or he dug a, a hole in order to put a foundation there. There he's liable. And the minimum amount required to create the liability mirrors the creative part of it. So since writing two letters is the amount that you need to create the Shabbos prohibition, you'd be liable once you erased two letters. Halacha Yutas, the Ramam concludes his opening chapter in the laws of Shabbos by telling us, in order for one to be liable for performing an act on Shabbos, the entire act had to be performed willingly and with intent. If he began or concluded the act without intent, he's not liable. Either he has to perform the, uh, <clears throat> sorry, either he has to have performed at least the entire minimum amount required to create a liability with intent, in which case, remember, he gets the kares punishment, or if there are witnesses who warn him, he gets skila, or he has to perform the entire minimum requirement to create the liability accidentally, in which case he will generate a chatas obligation to bring an offering. But if half was intentional and half was accidental, now one is exempt. There has to be an entire quantity created by the person, either willfully or unintentionally so. And this concludes chapter 1. Perak Sheni Halacha This chapter is dedicated to, Rambam starts and opens as we get into the details, the meat and the potatoes, Someone who is sick on Shabbos, who is in danger, and the fact that we talk about fulfilling Shabbos, how we are allowed to break Shabbos for the danger of human life. Here we go, halacha aleph. Like all other mitzvahs, says the Rambam, Shabbos observance is pushed aside when human life is at risk. So, if there's a definite danger to human life, you do whatever the local medical professionals say need to be done. Furthermore, says the Rambam, even if the danger to human life is not definite, there's only a doubt. Maybe one doctor says, you need to violate Shabbos. The other one says, I don't know. 
you do whatever is needed to save a life, even if, the possi- even if there's just a possibility of human danger, it warrants the violation of Shabbos. So the words in Hebrew are sakanas nefashos, even suffix sakanas nefashos, even the doubt. Let's say the medical doctors, they see a patient on Shabbos and they say he's, need to under, he's, need, he's going to need to undergo a medical treatment that's going to violate Shabbos and it's going to be an eight-day treatment. So we should begin the treatment right there and then. We don't say, let's wait until after Shabbos is over and then begin the treatment. So we'll only violate one Shabbos and not two. Again, wherever there's a possibility that human life is at stake, you violate even 100 Shabbos, says the Rambam. And this includes anything, lighting and extinguishing a light for him, slaughtering, cooking, and heating up food for him to eat, to bathe in, water to bathe in, whatever he needs. When it comes to a sick person, says the Rambam, the rule is, it's like a Tuesday afternoon for anything he needs. It's chal, it is complete weekday. Halacha gimel. These Shabbos violations should not be done by Gentiles. They should not be done lahavdil by Jewish children, by Canaanite uh, slaves who have gone through a conversion of sorts, or by women, because they will come to erroneously conclude that their Shabbos observant is less than other people's Shabbos observance. There are rather, says the Rambam, the greatest sage should violate the person for the sick, and they should not hesitate at all. The Torah says, The Torah says, do these mitzvahs in order that you live, not to die. The Torah is given as a source of peace, mercy, and kindness for humanity, not vengeance and cruelty, says the Rambam. And... And Apikoros, those heretics who view this as a violation of Shabbos, says the Rambam, the sentence in Yechezkel says, I gave them these laws, they, they messed them up. They're not going to be able to live by them. They're not going to live long enough to be able to carry out these laws which they are misinterpreting. So let's go through the specific illnesses the Rambam is going to take us through them. If someone has eye trouble, one or both of his eyes are secreting liquid, tearing up from a lot of pain, blood flowing from the eyes, the eyes are very hot. Any illness of the eye is considered a serious illness and requires violating the Shabbos and providing medical attention. Similarly, says the Ramam in Halachahe, the same is true of illness of internal organs, mouth, intestines, liver, spleen. Any illness affecting the internal organs are automatically in the category of serious illness and they require immediate medical attention. The same is true, says the Ramam, of a bruise on the back of the hand or the foot or high fevers. They have the same status of illnesses of internal organs and require immediate medical attention. Even if it doesn't fall into any of these categories, if doctors say it's dangerous, we violate the Shabbos based on their assessments. The Ramam continues. If someone swallows a needle, you do, you do what you need to do. It's life-threatening. If someone is bitten by a wild dog, snakes, you don't know if they're poisonous or not, get medical attention immediately. Halacha Zayin, if doctors diagnose the patient as needing one fig for his remedy, and then ten people run off, and each one of them plucked a fig off the tree, which remember is a prohibited activity on Shabbos, they're all exempt. Even if the patient, by the time number three came, already, the patient already had the first fig, he's feeling better, they all acted with permission, thinking it was medically necessary, they're all exempt. But you don't unnecessarily violate the Shabbos. So in Halacha Ches, the Ramam tells us, for example, you have a patient who needs two figs. You see a branch, which has three figs on it, and then you see two other branches, each of them have one fig on the branch. So break off the one branch that has the three figs, even though there's more than you need, because that's less of a Shabbos violation than breaking off two separate branches. Now, halacha test, if you cook food for a sick person on Fah Shabbos, a healthy person cannot partake in that food. You know why? Because we're concerned that if you're going to allow them to, then maybe when you're cooking, you'll add a little bit more for the other people, they can enjoy it too. 
But slaughtering an animal for a sick person, there's no problem with a healthy person enjoying it because you can't add more slaughtering, you can't slaughter more of an animal to be able to accommodate other people. So these were, this was sickness that's life-threatening or possible life-threatening. What about other illnesses that don't carry any danger with them? Says the Rabbim and Halacha Yud, a Gentile can be called to perform anything necessary for a sick individual. Cooking, baking, carrying, bringing the medicines from one place to another, applying certain colors to the eyes. If the act don't violate Shabbos, then it can be performed by a Jew. So a Jew, for instance, can maneuver the flesh around the ears or lift up any flesh on the chest that help the patient breathe, relocate a broken or dislocated bone. Those are permissible activities and can be done even by a Jew. Let us now talk about a woman who is giving birth and childbirth. Halacha Yudalaf. A woman in labor, says the Ramam, has the status of an individual whose life is in danger and that anything can be done to assist her. Cutting, tying the cord, calling the midwives, even illuminating the room that she's in just to ease her mind so she feels that people can see comfortably and can perform and can deliver the baby properly, even if she herself is blind. She can be done on Shabbos because that eases and that makes her more comfortable, makes her more emotionally comfortable. Now, if it's possible to perform the very same act in an unusual manner, we'll talk about this, that if something on Shabbos is performed in its unusual, not regular state of doing it, then it's not as prohibited. We'll talk about that soon. Carrying, for instance, you carry a medical instrument in your hair, that would be preferable, as that's not a biblical prohibition of Shabbos, because it's not, if you're not carrying it in the normal way, it doesn't constitute a violation of Shabbos. But otherwise, if you can't do it in an unusual fashion, you should do it in any way possible. Halacha yudbeis. One may not help an idolater. We've talked about not helping idolaters. You're not allowed to help an idolater in childbirth on Shabbos, even for pay, even if it's going to create a, a sentiment of anti-Semitism, even though you're not performing any forbidden activity on Shabbos. But you can assist a Gertoshev, who is a, a Gentile, who lives within our midst, for in childbirth, uh, though not violate the Shabbos. Halacha Yud Gimel. Now, there are varying degrees of danger that surround childbirth. So let's define this. From the time that blood begins to flow, even before labor begins, through three days after birth, that says the Ramam has the status, that time period, the woman has the status of a dangerously ill individual, and Shabbos can be violated whether or not she herself, she feels it's necessary. After the third day to the seventh day after she's given birth, if she feels it necessary, we violate the Shabbos. Otherwise, if, or if she says nothing, or if she says she feels okay, then we don't need to violate the Shabbos for her. After the seventh day after childbirth, she has the status of a sick person who is not dangerously ill. And you remember that a Gentile can violate the Shabbos for her needs. Now, halacha yudal, you can light a fire to provide warmth for a woman who has just given birth. Even during the summer months, because, says the Rambam, being cold is very dangerous for a woman who has just had a child. This doesn't apply to other, pati- other patients, unless they just had their blood let, in which case you can also light a fire to keep them warm, even if it is the summer. When it comes to a newborn baby, you can wash him after cutting the cord and with water that's warmed on Shabbos. Similarly, you can apply medical herbs on the baby. You can straighten out the baby's limbs properly when he's born. You can wash him before the circumcision, on the third day after the circumcision, if that's a Shabbos. Those are all the baby can be tended to in that fashion. So that covers childbirth uh, in on Shabbos. Halacha, uh, sorry, one more halacha of childbirth. If a woman passes away in childbirth, a knife should be brought immediately, says the Rambam, even if it needs to be brought through the, Pablo, the public thoroughfare. 
there's a chance that that's a viable fetus. And as we've learned, even for the possibility of saving a life, that overrides Shabbos. And this is true here as well, even though this fetus actually never had the status of a viable human life, you still run, violate the Shabbos for the possibility of saving the fetus. Okay. Halacha tazayin. Now we move away from childbirth. Anything, anything, any action needed to save a life should be done. And you don't need to first run to the Bezdan, to the rabbi, to see if you get a halachic dispensation. In fact, the faster you act, says the Rambam, the better it is. If you see a child fall into the sea, you spread out your net right away, you lift him up. Whether or not you catch fish, a fringe benefit at the same time, you're not allowed to trap on Shabbos, trap fish, but it's okay. If you just heard a baby cry, a child cry, you cast your net right away into the ocean. Even if you only lifted up fish, you can't find the child, you're completely exempt. In fact, says the Rambam, if you intended to go fishing on Shabbos, you wanted to do it only for fishing and you happen to catch a child you hoist the child out of the water with the fish, you're exempt this is true even if you didn't hear the child call the same principle applies to any situation where there's a danger to human life even though you may be deriving benefit as a result of saving the person like the situation with the fish you may and are required to save that person the Ramam gives us three examples a child is stuck in a pit you can dislodge some of the earth and save him, even though you're creating a step, which is beneficial. A child is locked in a room. You can break down the door because, says the Rambam, a child can die from fear. It's danger. It's fearful for the child. Even though knocking down the door, you're chopping down the wood, which you're going to use later on, you're gaining from. It's okay. And the last example the Rambam gives is there's a fire. Someone might be inside. You can extinguish the fire. Even though you're creating a walkway as you're extinguishing the fire, that is fine. Again, the more swiftly you access the Rambam to save the person, the better it is. You don't go to a Bezdin, to a rabbi for permission first. Another type of danger, debris. Debris falls down and you don't know if anybody's under the debris. You dig it up. Digging is a violation on Shabbos, of the of Shabbos. You still dig it up. If you find someone alive under the, under the, under the debris, but he's crushed. He's not going to survive for much longer. You still continue digging him out, says the Rambam. Temporary life is also life. Even if it's for a few moments, Chayesha is also life that we violate Shabbos for. Halacha Yutas 19, if you found someone under the debris and he's not breathing, so you leave him there, you know he's passed away. Now just because you find a corpse, someone who passed away in the debris, that doesn't mean that there can't be other people deeper down in the debris who are still alive. You keep digging through everything. It's always possible that there's someone lower down, deeper down in the, in the debris who is still alive. Even if most of the people living in the courtyard are idolaters, and there's one Jew living in the courtyard amidst a thousand idolaters, now it all collapses in the courtyard, Shabbos should be violated for that one person. Even if you saw one person from this 1,001 people, you saw him walk to another courtyard. You don't know who it was. And that other courtyard now collapses. It's possible that that one person who walked was not an idolater. It was the Jew. And therefore you violate the Shabbos, you dig through the debris in the the possibility that it could perhaps be this individual. But, however, this situation. You have all the residents in the courtyard, the 1,001 people. Now they all walk out of their courtyard. Now one of those people, you don't know who, leaves this group that's now left their courtyard, and they walk into another courtyard which now collapses. Here you do not dig through the debris. And and the reason is as follows. This is due to a precept in Jewish law which dictates that since the residents of the courtyard are no longer fixed in their designated place, they have left, now the laws of majority and minority govern. So therefore, if they would have been in their space and one person left, here... 
doesn't make a difference. Could be one out of a thousand. But since now they've left, now the, the laws of majority and minority govern, and since most of the residents were idolaters, we do not violate the Shabbos, we do not dig it up. Of course, if a majority were Jews, we would. Halacha Yudbeis, Chavbeis, sorry, 22. Someone is traveling through a desert, they lost track of the days of the week, they don't know when Shabbos is. So what's the law? They count six days from the day that their doubt started, and then they designate the seventh day as their Shabbos. They make Kiddush and Havdalah on that day as if it were Shabbos. Now, that day, he's allowed to violate Shabbos to do whatever he needs to keep him alive <laughs> from dying. Fine. And because on all the other days he doesn't know if it's really Shabbos or not, all the other days he shouldn't engage in work, work more than necessary until he can get himself out of the desert. If, however, for example, he knows that today is day number eight that I left. He doesn't remember what day he left, but he for sure didn't leave on Shabbos. It's day number 15. It's the same eight and 15 and one are all the same days of the week. He knows he didn't set out on his journey on Shabbos, so he at least knows that that day is on Shabbos, so he's permitted in all non-Shabbos activities on that day. Halacha chav gimel. Now we're going to talk about dangers that come to the community. If Gentiles, a Gentile nation, they lay, they lay siege around the city. Now, they're not trying to attack the city. They just want some financial benefit. And there's no actual danger. They're not attacking. So now you don't violate the Shabbos. You don't begin a war. You don't attack them on this day. However, if it's a coastal city, says the Ramam, it's positioned strategically, then even if their sole intent was just to come for some straw, we should attack, protect the city, and violate the Shabbos right away. However, if they are coming as an act of war, or to cause bodily harm, even if they arrive without stating their intent, but there's an assumption, they don't say why they're there, you attack, you protect the city, and you violate Shabbos. Indeed, it's a mitzvah for all Jews from all other locations to come to help and join the war effort without delay and help protect their brethren and save them from these enemies. If they do come from other locations to help the war effort, and thank God they are victorious, then they're permitted to return back to their homes on Shabbos while still carrying their weapons and armor to ensure their safe return home so they shouldn't be attacked on the way home. The same applies for any other type of danger. For example, Halacha Chavdalit, there's a ship that's sinking, the city is being flooded, it's a mitzvah to go out and save them on Shabbos. Saving one individual from pursuers, from wild animals, from snakes, that is a mitzvah. Whether it entails you performing many prohibited acts on Shabbos, or even if it means you sharpen your weaponing just for one prohibited act, it is permitted and you should do it. Now, though we generally in our prayers on Shabbos do not ask God for mercy and for specific requests, we would include supplications, prayers, we would even blow the trumpets to let other people know, to get help from other places, if it's an emergency uh, of this nature and life is at risk. Interestingly, we would not add supplications for a plague, a magefa, that is the, that is the exception. Halacha chafei, we conclude chapter 2, the Ramam says, if an offensive strike, where we are merely, we're, we are, we are, beginning an offensive strike, and we are just merely laying siege around an enemy city, we shouldn't start that within three days of Shabbos. Start it three days before Shabbos. If it's a war effort, then you can begin on any day of the week, including Shabbos, until we're victorious and we, we, we conquer the enemy. Even though it's not a war that's being mandated as a mitzvah, we're going to learn there's something called a melchemes mitzvah and a melchemes rishos. Certain wars are mandated and certain days as a mitzvah and certain are not. Obviously, if it's a war that's a mitzvah, obviously we would... Be, we would begin the war on Shabbos, even if it's not a mitzvah. Indeed, the sentence tells us in the Torah, Ad ridita, until you have captured the city, which means even on Shabbos. In general, and we, in fact, we know that Yehoshua, Joshua, conquered Jericho, the first city, Yericho, that he entered, that happened on 
Shabbos. And this concludes chapter 